Well, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Grace Presbyterian here in Segola. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning, as we celebrate Father's Day, we give our attention to our adoption into God's family, having been given the privilege of calling upon our Heavenly Father through the indwelling of His Spirit. Let's worship today our true Heavenly Father together as we continue in Romans chapter 8. Thanks for listening. Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, Dads have an amazing job, uh, which I have found to be kind of that end-of-the-rope kind of help. You, You can call on mom for just about everything, but boy, when things get really bad and you start hearing dad being called, you know you're in trouble. I found this to be the case uh, when my sister and I were really small. Uh, Generally, uh, we would call upon mom. She could fix just about everything, but uh, dad was the one who had the the big toolbox, and we knew it, right? Dad was the one, if you had a big problem, you could call if you were really in a pickle. Well, we were going camping. My mom and I were even talking about this not too long ago. We were camping, and uh, at this time, we just had one of those... um, uh, covers over the bed of the truck, you know, n- not anything fancy, any of these beautiful fifth wheels or pull behind trailers, just a bed of the truck type of camper. And wherever we were stationed, because I was too young to really remember all the details, but my parents uh, set up the tent and they were over in the tent, and my sister and I, Carrie and I, were in the back of the truck bed. And this was fine, this wasn't a big problem until we started to hear the thunder, until we started to hear the storm. And as the storm moved closer and inched closer, my sister uh, and I, again, stuck in the back of the bed of the truck, uh, she began to get uh, visibly uneasy. She began to get very nervous. And as that thunder got louder and you'd hear a, and see the lightning through the cracks in the windows and it would clap loud, she started to whimper. And then soon she started to cry. And I knew my job was to help <clears throat> to reassure her that everything was going to be fine. And so I did the best I could. But then the rain started. And I'm not talking little rain. I'm talking angry rain. You know the kind I'm talking about. And I would have been fine myself, except the rain then started to leak in. And it started to puddle up. And I started to get nervous. And this is completely pitch black. And the thunder's roaring. And the lightning's flashing. And she's crying. And pretty soon I'm crying. And, and, and we're calling out for who? Who are we calling out for? Dad. We're calling out for Dad. And I can hear the... Uh, through the thunder, the zipper of the tent uh, go, and uh, we had one of those windows that just pulls up, and sure enough, there with both his kids in tears was my dad with a huge smile on his face. He thought the storm was just the best thing, and it was so much fun. And what a contrast, right? What a contrast between the kids who, uh, frankly, I had given up hope. I, I, had, I had tried my hardest, and I had been exhausted of any resource I could provide comfort to my sister, and she was completely done. The kind of crying that makes you go, <laughs> you know, the you know, really deep crying. Contrast that with the joy on my dad's face. Who knew everything was going to be fine? Who knew there wasn't a problem at all? And that he scooped the two of us up, and he brought us into the warmth and into the safety of the tent. It's a tough Father's Day for me because it's my first without my dad. But it's a great memory and a great picture of what our Heavenly Father looks like because we kind of live in a world that's a mess. We, we live in a world that's very broken. It's got its own metaphorical thunder and lightning. And you know what? Sometimes it feels like the rain is creeping up on us. I, uh, I went on the, um, 
the internet looked up uh, CNN news headlines just to see what kind of news was out there, and it was so depressing, I had to go to Fox News. <laughs> Unfortunately, Fox News wasn't any better. Listen to some of these headlines. Otto Warmbier's injuries renew focus on North Korea's infamous torture camps. Headline news. Uh, Capitol hearing recording shootings over the years. Uh, uh, gun owners worried about the acquittal of an officer-involved shooting. Uh, just recently, the USS Fitzgerald, bodies of seven soldiers uh, uh, found. Uh, the seven Navy soldiers after there was a collision. Uh, family, a suspect in four slayings about killing for fun. This is just the headlines. I'm not cherry-picking this. I'm just, I took a, just a picture right off their front page. Uh, here, here's one. Thousands of bees invade Southern California homes. So that's the world we live in. Uh, violent confrontation with alleged shoplifters caught on camera. Um, and how about this one? Uh, Dennis Rodman wraps up low-key North Korea visit. Had anyone ever thought you'd live in the world where this was our American <laughs> diplomat to North Korea? Can, can we all agree that the world we live in is broken, folks? <clears throat> Ultimately, it's broken in a far worse way than you'll find in the news headlines or in the newspaper. Because 100% of people on earth die. And that death, and for many of us, even not only just Father's Day, but recent deaths that we've experienced here in our church, that's a very close pain to our hearts to recognize that something's wrong here. Something doesn't match up. And it's easy for us as we look to the way in which our world is broken and to how death continues to seem like it's ever growing closer as our bodies begin to wear down and we experience the decay that's part of this world. Almost a, a yearning in our hearts to say there's got to be something more. A, a groaning to say, God, you have redeemed my life, but I still live under the umbrella of this curse. We need Jesus, don't we, church? Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope because that's what we're tempted to do. We're going to find that this is the same message. That's given now in Romans 8. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. <clears throat> As we've been studying the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been marching steadily through Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter. Just in purpose of review, we spent uh, two Sundays ago recognizing that even in ourselves there are two laws at work. The law of sin and death. That's the brokenness, and we all know what that's like. It belongs to something called the sinful nature. Paul uses the word flesh to refer to it. It's something that everyone has as they're born into this world. But there's a second law. The law of the spirit of life. As we saw last week, uh, this spirit comes and he lives within us such that we are unique among people on earth. Uh, before you uh, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, you only have your spirit. And it's a dead spirit. Just as it was said true by God's promise in the garden... The day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. Adam and Eve, in the moment, were separated spiritually from God. A spiritual deadness in their hearts. Paul will say this to, our, to those living under sins and transgressions, we are dead in them. And what do dead people do? Well, they, they don't respond at all. But once you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have a second spirit that comes to live within you. The spirit of God. And now the two of you got to live together. 
And that was our discussion last week of how we need to be those who aren't controlled here by the sinful nature, but rather we are those who are controlled by God's spirit. And do you remember the promise from last week? It was my fourth point, right? What is the commitment of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember what it is? To give life to your mortal bodies. If you look with me in Romans, you'll find that there at the end in verse 11. And if this spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in with you. That's God's commitment to you. God knows that this world is broken. He knows that we're tempted to give up hope. But the promise is your heavenly father is going to meet you with a smile to scoop you up and one day remake you and remake the heavens and remake the earth to set all things right. And the only way in which we have access to this hope is by entering into his family. He's called our what? Heavenly father. And there's no way that he can be your father unless we who have been estranged outside the family become those who are adopted. So I'm titling this message, The Adoption of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse 12 and we're going to read all the way to verse 25. So uh, let's do that now. We're going we're to see that <clears throat> there are three major sections and Paul's going to reference each of those twice. So that's what we're going to do. Read through it. We're going to look at each, three sec- each of the three sections in detail And then we're going to conclude. All right. Chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In order that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's a lot in this passage. In fact, there's far more than we're going to be able to cover uh, just in our time here this morning. But just on the outset, I want to define a couple of words for you here. 
Uh, firstly, is uh, these are all kind of big words. You might want to write these down. Number one is called mortification. Mortification. Here's what it means. It is the insistent, continual putting to death of your sinful nature. It's called mortification. It's a biblical term that shows up in a few places in the New Testament. It's one that shows up in our passage here that we're going to look at. And it's a key theme that Paul is going to use when he's going to call us his children. So mortification is the putting to death. I want to clarify one thing. It doesn't mean that you will kill it. Mortification doesn't mean dead. It means moving towards death. Killing. It's an active present tense type of verb. It's not, it's not to be seen in the perfect sense where it's completed. So mortification is a process. Okay, everybody good with that? Mortification is a process. Here's the second term. Adoption. <clears throat> it's the positional transmutation to become a member of God's family. Again, kind of some big words. Positional in that whether or not you feel it, it's true. Uh, Paul will write that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. How many people feel like that all the time? I don't always feel like that. Well, you know what? That's because it's positional. Regardless of your experience, this is true. Big word here, transmutation, simply means to be changed. To become a member of God's family means that there is a change that has happened. Paul will write in first, uh, 2 Corinthians that uh, anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. You're new. You're not what you once were. Uh, the old has gone. The new has come. This is similar to what we heard in our reading of the day in Colossians chapter 3. So mortification, killing, it's a process. Adoption, it's a positional change to now belong to a new family. And the last word here is glorification. Glorification is the participation. So there's something you got to do in it, right? Glorification is the participa- participation in resurrection of the enjoyment and worship of God without a sinful nature. That's the best part of all. Because you, you and I, we, we can do most of this right now. We can participate in the worship of God. But we haven't experienced resurrection yet in full. We've experienced resurrection only spiritually in our hearts. That that dead spirit that we came into, into this world with has been revived, has been renewed. We have been redeemed, restored. The Lord has come and he has brought life to your spirit, but our bodies are still going to die. That's why the part that we can't do is the resurrection. We wait for that. And the very last part is without a sinful nature. That is glorification. It's what stands as the ultimate hope and goal of the Christian life. So everybody good on these three terms? Because this is what Paul is working with. All right, uh, This is what he's tracing through in developing this part of Romans chapter 8. I want us to look at the first part here. Romans 8, uh, just 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. First word I want you to see here is obligation. Obligation. Uh, Kind of an old-fashioned word. I think I might have preached on this before. Uh, You might see in those old-timey movies, if a gentleman opens the door for a lady... um, He'll say, oh, much obliged. Anyone say that anymore? Right, Carl, where's Carl? Anyone say that to you when they walked in this morning? Much obliged, my dear good man. What does that mean, that old-fashioned idea? It it has in it this sense of, uh, I'm I'm indebted to you. Uh, You have done something for me, and here 
I am uh, now, uh, I have to respond to you. I, I owe you something back. Well, in a very real sense, folks, this is what we uh, and how we stand in reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made us alive. So how should you live then? Your obligation is into the flesh. The flesh wants to kill you. The sinful nature wants to put you to death. You're obliged now to the Spirit. He's made you alive. He has come and he has redeemed you. And then the obligation here in terms of living means this. And you might recognize it. We've looked at it. That you put to death the misdeeds of the body. We don't need to spend time this morning recounting the misdeeds of the body. I bet if I gave you two minutes, you'd get most of them. Right? Everybody kind of knows what these are. The sinful nature and all that the flesh wants to produce within you will lead to death. So, we pay it back. You want to kill me? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to be putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, who here thinks they're good at that? They can do that. I better not see any hands go up. If I do, you're not reading your Bible. Because here's the most important point. Did you see what comes just before it? It's not something you and I can do. And Paul knows this, which is why he says that if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I'd be a poor preacher this morning if I was preaching to you, hey, you just got to try harder. You just got to pull yourself up by bootstraps. It's called bootstrap Christianity. And if you're not living right, it's because you're, uh, you're not trying hard enough. I'm sorry. You can try all day long and you will fail because your flesh is cursed. There is no victory here by yourself. There is victory, however, by the Spirit. And that's the one who you are obligated to live by. So, this idea of mortification. I'm putting to death what I used to be. Can you identify this in your life? How are you doing from six months ago? The thoughts that come to your mind, the way that you talk about others behind their back, the greediness and the pride of your heart. Are we moving in the right direction, folks? Are we making progress? Because I would submit to you that if you're no different than you were six months ago, a year ago, maybe even a week ago, you might be trying to do this by your bootstraps. And that you have to learn how to yield, to be obligated to the one that lives and dwells within you and has given life to you. Listen to the Spirit of God. Don't try to do this by yourself. And as you and I practice this, this process of mortification, uh, the promise is we will live and ultimately we will look more Christ-like because of it. That's the first section. Here, let's look at the second section here. Uh, uh, chapter 8, uh, 14 through 16, Paul continues. He says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Did you see something repeated here a bunch of times? I found it three times in there. If you're into underlining your Bible, I invite you to look for these passages, right? Uh, what are you? You're a son of God. You have sonship by the Spirit. You're a child of God. Now, son or daughter here, folks. I don't want anyone to get nervous, right? Uh, children of God extends to men and women. Uh, we are all equally under God's loving gaze in his family. Uh, but the best news of all is that we're adopted. That's what really matters. You're in the family. I remember there was a conference I went to where some, uh, he had been a pastor for years, and he said, I, 
I think you need to recognize that the, the fact that you can call one another brother and sister is of greater value than your own siblings. Um, if, you, if you don't like your family, well, that's frankly good news, right? But um, for some people, they think, no, I, I love my family. I love my siblings. Uh, unfortunately, you might need to recognize, however, that the only reason that you're brothers and sisters with them is because of the will of a, a man and a woman on earth. That's it. But the reason that we can call one another brother and sister is because of the will of the creator of the universe. And ultimately, by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, it's of far, far greater value. This is one tradition that is in the Bahamas that I I wish someday just gets carried out to the rest of, uh, uh, rest of the U.S. I think it may show up in the South a little bit, too. We've got to bring it up to the U.P., but they constantly call one another brother and sister. Uh, that's, that's one thing I'm going to miss about Jim Dab a whole lot. Every time I talk to that guy, I'd call him Brother Jim because I, I knew a Jim back in the Bahamas. We always call him. So it just flows off my tongue, right? Brother Jim. It's a privilege, folks. It's a privilege, church, to call one another brother and sister because we belong to God's family. We are his children. There's a tricky part right in the middle of this passage, though, I want to draw your attention to. It's right here. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear. What's he talking about there? A slave to fear. He hasn't mentioned fear anywhere else yet. He has, however, mentioned death even uh, already, right? The context of our passage, because we have to pay attention to the context, is talking about the living by the, the, by the sinful nature is going to produce within you death. There's another writer in the scriptures that's going to use this conjunction, this idea between fear and death. And I want you to turn there with me. It's in Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer is going to recount how Jesus had to become like you. Uh, Before Jesus was made man, he uh, lived as a spirit with God, the Father. At Christmas, he was made in flesh, just like you. With skin, just like you. With bones, just like you. Blood, just like you. In every way, just like you. Except without imputation of sin, having been born of a virgin. Hebrews chapter 2, I have it up here on the screen as well, but I I want you to turn there if you're taking notes in your Bible to see the connection, to see the relationship with Romans 8. The writer says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of what? Fear of death. I think this is what Paul is talking about. I think this is exactly the same thing that he's referencing when he's talking about fear. Now, you can expand that generally to what you would understand to be the the sinful nature that occupies us still. Remember that law of sin and death that we still battle and rail against. But ultimately... It speaks to the greatest brokenness of this world in that everybody dies. It's something that I have not enjoyed experiencing as I've had the privilege to do funerals. To see how so very many Christians are caught off guard by death. You don't need to live in fear, church. Let me say that again. It's worth an amen. Pastor Dave modeled this. 
You don't need to live in fear of death, church. Amen. The reason is because Jesus Christ shared in your humanity. And he broke the power of death. It's still out there, but you don't need to fear it. You know what Paul will say? He'll say, I want to depart and to be with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says that it's better to be with the Lord. He didn't fear death at all. And the reason that you and I can continue that and live that way as well is because we have been given the Spirit. Here it is again, Romans 8. You did not receive a Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Death is still out there. You know what death is like? It's like the thunder that you hear coming. It's like the lightning that's flashing. You don't know when the storm's going to hit. You know what it's like? It's like the angry rain that starts hitting the window where you and I, as small children of this earth, we don't know what's coming. It's very frightening. And what did my sister and I do when we had given up all hope? What did we call out? We called out, Daddy. We called out for our Heavenly Father. I want you to see what Paul says here. That by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. When you start to face that uncertainty and that unknown, you have got permission right here, church, from the Word of God to cry out to God. And Paul uses a really cool word here, Abba. Uh, It's an Aramaic word. It's the word that Jesus used to refer to God. You might recognize the uh, transliteration here that there's this double consonantal sound in Aramaic as in every language, small children, infants and babies, as they learn to call out for mom and dad, do not say mother and father. What do kids say? Mommy and daddy, right? Do you you hear that double consonantal sound? Because that's how little kids learn in in, in the development of language. Dada. Mama, you hear the, that double consonantal sound? Same thing right here. You might even hear it if you say it out loud, right? Abba, you want to say it? Ready? Abba. Sounds like Papa, Dada, right? It means daddy. That's what the word means. It means daddy. I want you to understand something. That when Jesus came and walked the earth, and he referred to God as his father, even crying out to him, daddy, the Jewish religious leaders did not like that. A couple of observations I want you to see. First of all, every time Jesus refers to God, he does so by calling him his father. Every time, except for one time. On the cross, as he's fulfilling scripture from the Psalms to cry out, no longer father, but what does he say? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The only time he doesn't use the name father. But every other time that Jesus speaks to God the Father, He uses it with this term, this term of familial relationship, of adoption. Now, Jesus can rightly do so because Jesus is, in fact, God's only eternally begotten son. But then Jesus does something that really makes the Pharisees upset, is that he then tells his disciples, this is how you should talk to God as well. Not only does Jesus always refer to God as his father, but he then calls those who are his followers to additionally refer to God with the same term. This bothers the religious leaders because they saw God as somebody who was wholly transcendent and apart. 
So not only were they offended by this relationship that apparently Jesus thinks he has with God that they don't have, but they feel that it's highly scandalous of being irreverent. Irreverent. Do you know that there's some people on earth today uh, that feel that same way? That some Christians uh, get a little too loosey-goosey with God, and you know what, God, you, know, you need to be quiet when you walk in. They get, they get really uneasy about this. You know what Jesus would say? He'd say, you can call him daddy. You can call him daddy. A term of endearment. A term that shows relationship. And the exact term that every one of us, when life gets really hard, when we want to lose all hope, we would call out to our earthly father as, we wouldn't say, father, father dearest, won't you come and relieve me from my anxiety? No, you'd cry, daddy! That's what you would do. But there's one other thing I want you to see here. Again, we can't miss it. You and I can't do this on our own. What's the Bible say? It says that the spirit of sonship and by him, by the spirit, we call out Abba, Father. Which simply means this. If you're still trying to play bootstrap Christianity, you're not calling out to God as your daddy. You're not listening to the spirit. Because it's the spirit that causes us to cry out to him as daddy. I want you to see where this is repeated in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law. That's the work that happens in our hearts, right? To be purchased back again. That we might receive adoption. To what? Right? That's, are, are you recognizing the same thing that we're seeing in Romans 8? That you belong to the family of God? Now look what he says. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. You, you can't be adopted into the family and not have the spirit. Remember, that's what Paul says earlier. That was last week, right? You need to test yourself unless you fail the test and you don't belong because having the spirit is the single identifier of belonging to the family. So because now you're his sons, his daughters, his children, he sends you his spirit into our hearts, the spirit who calls out what? Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that does this. The Spirit of God causes us to cry out to our Heavenly Father, to Daddy. All right, so we've seen mortification. We've seen adoption. What was the third big word that we looked at? Glorification. Now let's look at that. This comes in verse 17. Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also, what? Share in his glory none of us deserve this none of us deserve it we deserve hell child of hell that's how we're born in this world i want it my way but god comes and he picks us up our heavenly father and then he lets us share in his glory it ought to make us all just stand back in amazement you know what it make us ought to do saying i'll fly away is what it make us want to do right it make us want to just lift up whatever praise you have on your lips to him um donna klein put a verse over on our um daddy-daughter dance uh, of David danced before the Lord, right? King David so knew God in his heart, called a man after God's own heart that he would become undignified to just even dance before his heavenly father to share in his glory. Anyone here feel like dancing? This is not a Baptist church here, you know. We, can Presbyterians dance? I don't know. They can? Okay. 
This is what the love of God ought to stir us to. It ought to stir us to an excitement of worship. An expression of love that you would do. Do you know what my daughter does every time I walk through the door? She runs to me. And she, she spins around like this so that I look and I'll see her. Because she loves her daddy. It's the best part of my day. My son, he used to do that too when he was smaller. And I kind of try to bribe him when I pick him up from school. I like give him a little piece of candy if he runs to me still. I know those days are numbered, right? They're, they're not going to last forever. But um, th- this same idea gets repeated. And again, just for sake of time to look through this, you might recognize verses 18 through 22. Look with me because he's going to keep talking about mortification. Do you see how the creation is groaning? Uh, it, it says in verse 12 that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay. Like your bodies are being killed, you have to practice mortification. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves. So we're groaning as well. That's mortification. That's the knowledge that I can see in my heart that I'm alive, but this body of mine still is plagued with the curse of this world. And rather than live as obligated to it, I'm going to try to put it to death by the work of the Spirit. I'm going to listen to the Spirit of God. I'm going to put the deeds of the body to death through that. But then we see adoption in verse 23 recognized as well, right? Because how do we know this? Because we're the first fruits. Are you with me there? What's it say? First fruits of the what? Of the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit of God is going to remake everything, church. Everything is going to be new. This whole creation is going to be fixed one day. But God starts it with us. He starts it with the spirit that lives inside us such that we are the first fruits. We have it right now, right here. And he's called us as the church to spread this to the rest of the world. But look what it says. We groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons. So there it is. Adoption. And then lastly, glorification. It says the redemption of our bodies at the end of verse 23. That's, where, that's what we're looking for. Now pay close attention to verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Are you there yet, church? Who here has their heavenly body? Anybody have it? Are you kidding me, pastor? You should see what the doctor told me last week. No, this is not it. So what do we do? We hope for what we don't yet see. That's glorification. Who hopes for what he already has? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, what's it say? We wait for it patiently. That's like the worst news to tell kids, isn't it? I, I don't like to be the pastor that has to tell you this, right? But that's what I, I, my mom and dad many times, you, you got to wait. I wanted Christmas and my birthday to be every day, but you got to wait. Is it here yet? I have to wait. Church glory's not here yet. It's not here yet. We hope for it. We don't see it yet. We hope for it. And as we do, God tells us, like a gentle father, what's he say? Just wait. Just wait. All right. I have a conclusion written in your sermon notes. Here it is. Number one, it's a sentence, right? So it's a sentence. Maybe you could even figure it out. Number one, act like a member of God's family. A member of God's family does not live according to the flesh. Right? If, you're, if you belong to God, you have His Spirit. Therefore, you're obligated to live according to the Spirit. Therefore, act like it. I'm very keen on recognizing this in my own son. Right? He carries my name. He carries my father's name. 
And if I see my son acting on the playground or, or speaking with words that don't come out of my mouth, what do you think this dad does? Yeah, I don't say, oh, that's okay. That's just, that's how he is. That's how God made him to be. I don't, uh uh-uh. This isn't who you're supposed to be. You belong to me, therefore act like it. I don't quite say it in that tone, you know, I'm more of a, you know, it's just a poor little, little guy, right? But I'll tell that to the church. Listen here, church, act like it. If you belong to God's family, act like it. I remember once playing ball in high school at tip-off. I got the ball and I started headed to the wrong hoop. What did it look like I was doing? Playing for the wrong team. Uh-uh. You got the wrong color jersey on to do that. You are a member of this team. Act like it. Church, you have been given the jersey of the Holy Spirit. You wear his colors. You carry his name. Your obligation isn't to the flesh. Your obligation is to the Spirit. Therefore, act like it. Number two, uh, do this. Why? Okay, why? Well, number two, because you are a member of God's family. That's adoption. And number three, one day you will share in the glory of God's family. That's glorification. Three big words today at church. Mortification, act like it. Adoption, you belong to his family. And glorification, it's what we wait for. So here's my application for you today. Number one, ask God for help. He has not given you a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. If you feel like death is coming close, you don't fear. You know what you do? You do what my sister and I did. You cry out to your daddy. That's what you do. I really want you to search your hearts here this morning, church. Where are you still broken? Where is the metaphorical rainwater continuing to soak up in your soul, in your life? Where is the metaphorical thunder still sounding that's causing you to be uncertain about the future, wanting to maybe plan and scheme it yourself when you're not turning it over to God? Where do you need God's help? Where are you still afraid? The Apostle Paul wants you to know that the Spirit of God that lives within you has given you the privilege to cry out to your daddy in heaven. Help. Help. I'm not going to fear, but I'm going to cry out for help. Number two is this. Wait patiently with confident hope. Wait patiently with confident hope. That's a tough one to hear, but it's what we're told to do. Is there any area in your life that still feels hopeless? I just can't forgive this person. I just can't move on. I just keep struggling with this one sin. I, I keep entering into my heart and my mind these thoughts of negativity. It's hopeless. Hey, it's not hopeless. Number one, you call out to your daddy for help. and He will be there to help you. And then you recognize that you don't have glory yet. So, even when it's hard, you wait. You're not given a spirit of fear. So you wait with confidence. And you don't see your glorified body yet. And so you wait with hope. Because you know it's coming. I want to conclude uh, this morning by reading for you out of Romans chapter 5. Because uh, Paul is kind of saying something he's already said earlier. And I just want to leave you with his thoughts in Romans 5. Listen to these words and allow the Spirit to root them into your heart. He says, therefore, since we have been 
justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone... Die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Cry out. Cry out to him, church. If you're not, you're playing bootstrap Christianity. You got to quit that. You got to start living by the Spirit. Where it's still hard and where you still see the haunt of death because this world is cursed, you wait. Glory is coming. And so you put your confidence in him. Let's pray this morning.